It's good to be in the house of the Lord for another Sunday. Uh, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. And uh, hold your place there. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. And uh, if you're a guest here this morning, I am so glad that you're here. If, uh, if you're not a regular, thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. And uh, so we're going to finish today a very short series of messages called Table Talk. And if you're a guest, let me give you just a little bit of background very quickly about what this is all about. Um, we believe in, in John 6, 35, Jesus said that I am the bread of life. And so what that means is that the church, when it's all said and done, is a table where we prepare a meal of the bread of life for everyone who is hungry and thirsty. And we invite people to come to the table and partake of the bread and, and be encouraged by the bread, be refueled by the bread. And around this table, we think there are really three chairs. There's three chairs of people that in a healthy church should be a part of, of the table, the meal that is being served. In this chair, uh, are mature believers. And when I say mature believers, I'm not necessarily talking about age because you can be a mature believer and be 22 years old or even 15. A mature believer is someone who partook of the bread of life and has been feeding on the word of God, feeding on the bread of life and growing and, and being able to realize not only when I come to church, do I wanna enjoy the meal of the bread of life, but I know that I also need to push back from this chair and help make sure that the people in these other two chairs are able to also enjoy this meal around the table of the bread of life. Now, in these two chairs, in this chair, these would be baby or, or immature believers, people who, who have taken the bread of life, but they have not matured in their faith yet. Now, if you've ever had toddlers or small kids around your table, you know they make a mess, right? It's, it's not a clean process, it's a messy process. And too many churches don't like the people that sit in this chair because they make a mess. Well, the only way you ever get to this chair is you have to start in this chair. And if the church ever gets to the point where we feel like we've got too many people that are making a mess, then you're not gonna reproduce and the family's gonna die. So we need these messy young believers who are figuring it out. And that's part of the job of the people in this chair to get, get back from the table and say, let me help you learn how to partake of this meal. And then in this chair, these would be people who are, in general terms, they're far, far from God. They have never, ever partaken of the bread of life. Now, there's a big spectrum of people who could be sitting in this chair. They could be people that have been around the bread of life for a long, long time, but they have never, ever personally decided, I am going to take and participate and enjoy the bread of life. They've been sitting around it for a long time, but they've never done anything with it, and they're so close, but they're still not there. Or there are some people that could be sitting in this chair that are so far from God that, and, and I literally, I have spoken to people like this and, and I, I hope and pray that you have too. I've spoken to people who are literally scared to walk in the church door because they said, I'm afraid that if I walk in, the lightning is gonna strike. I've heard that. How many of you have ever heard that? Raise your hand. 
All right, good. That means you're talking to the good, the right people. See, this is who Jesus came looking for. Were the people in this chair so that he could share the bread of life with them. And then they could move from this chair to this chair as a baby believer and learn how to process and, and, and rightly divide the word of truth, in which case then they wind up over in this chair and they go, oh, wow, I need to reach people and help people in the other two chairs. And they push back from this chair and they say, how can I help you? So that's what ought to be going on in the church. And hopefully today, as we wrap up this series, uh, Lord willing, I'm gonna share some things with you that will help you sort of wrap all of this uh, up in your mind and, and wrap your arms around it. And if, if you happen to be in this chair this morning, praise God that you're here. I pray that today is the day that it clicks for you. Father, as we get ready to dive into your word this morning, I pray that as I share what you've laid on my heart, that, or if I stumble over words, that that's not what people will hear. That through the power of your Holy Spirit, that they will hear only what you need them to hear. God, make it clear. Make it plain. God, may today be the day that chains fall off. And salvation comes. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've talked about this table, talked a lot about food. And uh, I'll just uh, kind of give you a, a little quick summary of me. Some, some of you have kind of already figured this out. But uh, I, am, I am a plain, plain, simple guy when it comes to food. I like meat, potatoes, bread, and cheese. Those are my four food groups. <laughs> meat, potatoes, bread, and cheese. And if it's not in those four food groups, I'm like, I don't, what's the point? And, uh, and well, Pop-Tarts are, they're somewhere in there. I think there's a bread element in there. And uh, <laughs> there could be a fifth food group called snacks. Uh, that's a good food group as well. Uh, but anyway, it, anytime somebody puts something in front of me that does not fall into those four food groups, usually I have no idea what it is because I don't eat those things. And when I have to, when somebody puts something in front of me and I have to look at it and go, what is it? then that probably means I ain't eating it. I have literally jumped out of airplanes and I, I will jump off cliffs and diving. I will take all sorts of risks and chances, but I take no chance when it comes to food. I am a non-adventurer when it comes to food. And uh, several years ago, I took a mission trip to Taiwan. And, uh, uh, you know, the idea of Chinese food, you know, every day, I like Chinese food, that's good stuff. Uh, but Chinese food over there doesn't look like Chinese food here. And uh, every day I was there, I, I literally thought that I just, I just might starve before I get back home. Everything they put in front of me, I had no idea what it was. I'm like, what is it? What is it? Every day, I couldn't identify a dadgum thing. And uh, so one night we were out in the kind of like a marketplace, an open air market, like a farmer's market. And they had all this stuff on, on you know, they were selling food items and, uh, and I would ask the missionary, I'm like, what's, wh what is that? Uh, uh, well, and he'd tell me, I'm like, eee. Then I said, what's that? And he'd tell me, I'm going, eee. And I, we got to one thing and I said, what, what, is, what is it? 
And he said, you don't want to know what that is. I'm like, say no more. Finally, after about four or five days, we went to a larger town that had a McDonald's. I, I literally hugged the statue of Ronald McDonald. <laughs> I ate two triple cheeseburgers and like two big orders of fries. Man, God was good. That was, that was, so, that was so awesome. But I know there's some people that like, hey, I'll try anything. But I think a lot of people are wired like me. It's like if you had to ask what it is, then you're a little leery about whether you're going to partake of that or not. But that's been around for a long, long time. So let me tell you when I think this originated. Take you all the way back to the book of Exodus, which you heard Rick mention a little earlier. So in the end of Genesis, the Israelites, God's people, wound up living in Egypt. And uh, they they were living there for a while, but after a little while, they became slaves. They became prisoners in bondage. And this went on for hundreds of years. And if you wake up tomorrow morning and you think, man, I can't believe I got to go to work. This is so bad. You can't even begin to imagine how bad it was for them because every day they woke up, it was the same thing. And because it had gone on for hundreds of years, there was no end in sight. And you couldn't just, you know, put out a resume and get another job. And so they prayed. They prayed constantly, but there was no relief in sight. And finally, one day, God got Moses' attention through a burning bush. So Moses comes over on the backside of the desert, and he's like, I got to see this thing. And he winds up in this conversation with God. And God says, I've heard the prayer of my people, and you are going to go down to Egypt, and you're going to stand in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, of the most, of the most powerful nation in the world, with the most powerful army in the world, and you're going to say, let my people go. And Moses said, right. <laughs> he said, no, no, I mean it. You're going to. And so Moses winds up going down to Egypt with nothing but a stick, And he walks in front of Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, right. (laughs) Not happening, Moses. Well, a series of plagues struck Egypt. And each one was just like a little bit worse than the one before. Terrible situation. But Pharaoh absolutely refused to budge on this issue. There is no way that I'm letting all of these workers go. There were millions of them, not a chance in the world. And then one night, God got a hold of Moses. He said, Moses, tonight is it. It's all gonna change tonight. And tomorrow, Pharaoh is going to tell you to take my people and go. Now, here's what's going to happen, Moses. I'm going to send the death angel. Judgment is coming. I've been telling Pharaoh for a long time what's going to happen, and he wouldn't listen. He's had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and he has ignored all of it. And eventually, if you ignore all the warning signs, eventually you will have to pay a price. And he said, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my death angel, and the judgment is going to be the firstborn of everything in Egypt is going to die tonight. 
whether human or animal, the firstborn is all going to die. Now, Moses, this judgment applies to everybody living here, but let me tell you how you avoid that judgment. He said, I want you to tell my people to go out and find a spotless lamb. And when they find that spotless lamb, then what I want you to do is I want you to sacrifice that lamb. I want you to partake of that lamb. I want you to eat it. And then I want you to take the blood that was, that was shed from that lamb and I want you to paint it over the door frame and on the sides of the doors of your house. And so that's exactly what Moses did. Moses told God's people, well, here's what's gonna happen. And God's judgment is going to be taking place for everybody in Egypt. There's no way to escape this judgment unless you follow the directions of God. And what God has said is that I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to kill it. I want you to partake of it. And then I want you to paint the blood over the door. And then Jesus said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That night, the death angel came. There was weeping and wailing and moaning all across the land of Egypt. But not among God's people. Because they had followed the instructions of Moses. Now, I can only imagine, they've been in slavery for 300, 400 years. I got to imagine that there were some people that were thinking, do I really need to do that? Is that really going to happen? Do I really need to go out and get a spotless lamb, the best lamb that I've got, and sacrifice it and eat it and then paint blood over my door? Do I really need to do that? And people who understood who God was urged them, yes, don't let this experience or this situation catch you by surprise it is going to happen God is a God who said he will do who will do what he said he will do and if you don't do this the judgment that God is reserving for the Egyptians is going to come to you as well and so that night Every person of God that followed God's instruction, that applied the blood of a spotless lamb over the door of their home, God passed over them. And the next day, Pharaoh got up and said, enough is enough. Go. And the bondage that they had been in, the chains that they bore were broken by the power of God. 
Everything that they had been worried about, concerned about, burdened by, it was all broken. And man, what a time of rejoicing. They, they left Egypt, man, God is so good. Then they got to the Red Sea, like, whoa, no, this might not be so good after all. Pharaoh's army is hard on their heels and they're stuck. But God said, hey, wait a minute, I ain't done, watch this. And he parted the Red Sea and they all went across on dry land. And then when they get to the other side, well, here comes Pharaoh, oh no, it's bad again. And God said, no, I got this. And all the water comes back and they all drown. And that was an even bigger miracle. The thing that you need, God said, I got. I got this. Good times, good times. But then after a few more days and some celebrating, man, I tell you, people are, are so unbelievable, aren't they? they? They get a little bit further out and they go, man, you know what? We had it made in Egypt. It was so good back there. We had big pots of meat. Oh, it was so good. Oh, that was good. Mosley brought us out here in the middle of the desert and there ain't a blasted thing to eat and we're just so sick and tired of this. We should have been stayed back in Egypt and at least we had good food and good water. It was awesome. God said, y'all guys are so stupid. Aren't you glad God is patient with us? He said, Moses, all right, I heard him, I heard him. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send some bread every night. And it's going to fall, and it's going to rain out of the sky, and they're going to get up in the morning, and when they get up, it'll be all over the place. And they can take as much as they want, but here's the thing, it's only good for a day. It only lasts a day. It don't take more than a day because that's all that's going to last. And if you keep it more than a day, it's all going to go bad. So every day you can get just enough to get you through the day. So the next morning, they wake up and there's this fine white material all over the ground. And in Exodus 16, 15, they get up and, and they look at the ground and they said, what is it? Now, if they were like me, I don't really want to eat if I don't know what it is. What is it? Did you know that that's what the word manna actually means? God said, I'm going to send manna. And, and when they get up, they say, what is it? It's manna. Manna means what is it? They had no idea. But finally, when Moses explained it to them, God fed them with that manna for 40 years until they entered the promised land. Now, let's fast forward to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. <clears throat> In the first part of John, chapter 6, there's a story that almost everybody is familiar with. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And in this story, uh, people had begun following Jesus, and uh, it was the end of a day, and he'd been teaching, and, and they were kind of out in the, in the boonies, kind of like being in Orchardville. And uh, <laughs> they were out in the boonies, and uh, Jesus said, well, we need, you know, we need to feed these people. And uh, so everybody's looking around going, well, we, there, there isn't, there's nothing. We got nothing. And uh, Jesus said, well, check around. And they found one boy with, you know, five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, yep, yeah, I got it. And he blessed it and multiplied it. 
and everybody there, which is probably over 10,000 people because 5,000, they only counted men when they were counting because there was sort of this automatic understanding that there would be a wife there. And so it's probably at least 10,000, probably more because they're kids. So there's over 10,000 people that are eating off of just five loaves and two fish. What an amazing miracle. This is so cool. And so they get to talking amongst themselves and they're thinking, hey, we, we need to do something with this guy, Jesus. And in fact, let's, let's put him in charge. And Jesus, knowing what he knew and understanding what they were thinking, goes, nope, nope, not doing it. That's not why I'm here. And so him and his disciples push off to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, by the way, he walked on water, another cool miracle. Um, the disciples rode, tough, tough duty for them, but Jesus walked. I, I like the way Jesus does it better. One day I'm looking forward to doing that. I think I'm gonna be able to walk on water. That'd be cool. So they get to the other side and the next morning, all those people that Jesus fed the day before, they wake up and they see he's not there. Well, we gotta find him. So they send out a search party and they realize he's on the other side of the river. They all get over there and Jesus is in a synagogue, a little, little church, and he's preaching and teaching and they all show up. And uh, let's pick up the story there in verse 26. Jesus answered them and he said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. You know, he's saying, listen, I know why y'all are here. It's not because you really want to hear what I'm saying. It's not because you really want to know what I have to offer. It's because you had a happy meal yesterday. You thought it was really cool. You're still hungry and you're here again for more food. And then he says, don't labor for food that perishes. You know what he's saying? He said, God, you've got your priorities all wrong. Because here's, here's the, the reality. Your physical hunger is always going to come and go. It will never, ever, ever fully be satisfied. You ate yesterday, right? Why in the world would you need to eat today? Anybody want to go the rest of their week going, well, I don't need anything this week. I ate yesterday. I don't think so. Why? Because that hunger keeps coming back. And there are a lot of people here this morning, and some of you are, are really, really reluctant to admit it, but there are a lot of people here this morning, and your priorities are all wrong. You know that there is something in your soul, in your spirit, that needs to be satisfied, and you are looking in all sorts of places to find the answer to what will make that stop. And there are people who look for it in their job, in their career. 
There are people that look for it in, in how much money they have. There are people that look for it in how much approval they can get from others. Do you realize? I think that's one of the biggest things about Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Why? Because I want to see how many likes I can get. Why? Because I need approval. And you're addicted to approval. There are other people in here this morning and, and you've decided that you know that you can't figure that part out. And so what you do is you retreat to a, a sedative. And now you're addicted to alcohol. And that alcohol craving never stops or you're addicted to drugs. You're addicted to all sorts of other things and Jesus is telling those guys, it will never ever stop. You're never going to be able to make that craving go away. You're never going to be able to satisfy it once and for all. He says, so don't spend your life and your time working for food that perishes. But my father, my father We'll take care of that because he sent me and that's what I'm here to do. And then when you look at verse 28, they say, well, then what shall we do? That we may work the works of God. See, they're still stuck on this, on, on this feeding this physical hunger. Well, wow, that really sounds good, Jesus. So, you know, what do we got to do to do the work of God? I am ready to do something because I got to fix this, this urge. I got to fix this hunger that I have. What do I got to do to do the work? There are a lot of people that come to church every Sunday in churches all across America, and I am certain that there are some sitting here right now this morning. And you're basing your eternity on what you do. On the work that you do. Can I show up to church enough? Can I do enough good deeds? Can I give enough money? Can I make enough people happy? What I gotta do to do the works? But just before they asked the question, Jesus said, the son of man will give it. It's not about what you work to do. The Son of Man will give you the very thing that will satisfy your hunger once and for all. And so in verse 29, Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So, okay, you're worried about, you're worried about work. What do you got to do to work? Well, Jesus said, well, let, let, me, let me explain to you what the work of God is. It's believe in the one who he sent. And I think this is where a lot of people get tripped up, is in this word believe. Because if you're sitting in this chair this morning, here's what happens for a lot of people. You've heard about the bread. And here it is, sitting right in front of you. And you go, I believe in the bread. Why? Because I have an intellectual knowledge. There's the bread. I believe in the bread. There it is, right there. I believe in the bread because I can see it. I can see it. Or, you know, maybe if you don't see so well, 
you get a whiff. I, I believe in the bread. I can smell the bread. I believe in the bread. Is that, is that what Jesus meant when he said believe in the one who Jesus sent? It's just believe. I can see it. I can smell it. I have an intellectual knowledge that there's the bread. I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all because in the Bible, the word believe was a huge word. It was huge. It meant total assimilation. It wasn't just this head knowledge or, or sight knowledge that yeah, I can see it, so I believe it. It was, wow, I believe it to the point that I'm going to act on it. I am going to do something with what I said I believe. Now, as much as I love this bread, and I do love bread, as much as I love this bread, if I sit here all day and I say, I believe in the bread, it looks like bread, it smells like bread, I believe in the bread. Will that do me any good? Not a blasted thing. If I want some value from this bread, belief here, belief visually, belief in what I smell, that is not enough. I must take it and I have to consume it. Then, and only then, does it provide nourishment for me. Then and only then does it become a part of me. Now, I'm sure there are a few people here this morning who could probably give a, a legitimate and clear explanation of how this, which is nothing like me whatsoever, can become part of me. I mean, there's a scientific reason. I'm sure there's somebody or a few people here who can explain that. But I would tell you that probably 90% or more of us here this morning have really no real understanding of how in the world that becomes part of me. It's, it's, it's sort of this miraculous process. And here's the thing, I don't really need to understand exactly how that becomes part of me. I just know that it does. And there are a lot of people who will sit in this chair and maybe you're one of them here this morning and you go, I still don't understand everything there is to know about this Jesus guy. I still don't understand everything there is to know about this faith thing. You don't need to. You don't need to have all the blanks filled in. You just need to have enough faith to say, I believe it's there and I'm going to partake of it. And then the rest starts to take care of itself. So then Jesus continues this conversation uh, and they're, they're sort of talking back to him and they said, what sign will you perform then? What, what, that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. So they're referring back to this whole manna thing, right? Which happened way back in the Old Testament. What are you going to do then? Okay, so we believe you. Make us believe. Do something really cool. Why in the world would they reference the manna. Who was talking about that? Jesus wasn't talking about it. So where in the world did that come from? Well, look back just a couple of verses. Look over in verse 14 of chapter 6. 
Verse 14, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. What in the world are they talking about? What is this prophet thing? And what does that have to do with this idea about manna? Well, Deuteronomy 18.15, might mark it down. Uh, we will not have it on the screen for you this morning, but Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses is talking. They're, they're, they have not entered the promised land yet. And Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren and him you shall hear. Moses said that God is gonna raise up a prophet like me and you listen to him. So this is what they were saying in verse 14. This is the prophet. Moses said there would be a prophet. This is the prophet. So this takes them all the way back into the Exodus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I study, I will often use a commentary. I will read what other people said because I, I don't want to get off on a wrong track somewhere. I don't want to run down my own path and be off base with what God is really saying. But church, I want to tell you something. A commentary is not the inspired word of God. Only the Bible is the inspired word of God. There are Christian books on shelves of almost any bookstore that you go into. Great books. Read them. They are not the inspired word of God. This is the inspired word of God. And so the Jewish people had this thing like a commentary. It's called the Midrash. And the Midrash said that the prophet would, well, well first of all, it said that Moses is the one who brought bread from heaven, not God. It was Moses. And that uh, when he showed up, that the prophet would do the same kind of miracles as Moses. Now, that's not what the Bible says, but that's what this commentary that they had said. And they were putting all of their information based on the commentary, not the word of God. Don't make that same mistake. But that's why they started to bring up the whole manna thing, because they were saying, hey, Moses said there's going to be another prophet. The commentary we've been reading said that Moses brought manna from heaven and that the prophet is going to do stuff just like him. So, hey, Jesus, what you going to do? Make us believe. So Jesus said in verse 32, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. Moses didn't do that, guys. He said, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said, guys, you have completely misunderstood your commentary and the book of Moses from way back when. Moses is not the one who brought bread down from heaven. That was my father. And now he has brought the true bread from heaven. Remember, you can only use that for a day. You can only get through a day with that. 
And that's, that hunger is always going to come back. You got to keep going back day after day after day. Why? Because it's only going to satisfy a temporary hunger. But my father has now sent the true bread, which is going to satisfy your soul once and for all. That's what's going on. And so in verse 34, they said to him, then Lord, give us this bread always. You, you ever know somebody can't take a clue if a ton of bricks fell out of the sky and hit them on the head? This is those people. They're standing in front of Jesus. He's telling them in every which way that he possibly can, this is it. This is everything you've been looking at since way back there. And I am finally here. And, and I'm telling you, that bread is temporary. I am forever. And, and they're still thinking about satisfying their hunger. Well, then give us that bread. That'll work. That sounds good. Give us, give us that. And in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So let's, let's go all the way back here to this Old Testament thing. So Moses was sent to Egypt to deliver God's people from slavery and bondage. And the only way that they could be delivered from the judgment that was going to come was to take the blood of a spotless lamb, paint it over the door of their dwelling, consume that lamb, make that lamb a part of them, put their trust and their faith in the declared word of God, act on that, and then deliverance came, and while they were out in the desert, in the darkness of night, God delivered bread to sustain them. And all the way forward into the New Testament, Jesus comes into a dark place, a world that is marred and stained by sin and needs the light of Jesus to shine. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I am the light of the world. He came into a dark place to provide the bread of life that will not just satisfy a hunger for a moment, but will satisfy a hunger for eternity. John chapter 129, just a few, few pages back. John the Baptist was out doing his thing. And in verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just I'm the bread of life. I'm the lamb. I'm the light that came in the darkness. I'm going to shed my blood so that you can apply it to your life and 
have that hunger satisfied forever. To have your chains and your slavery broken and ended by the only power that can do it and it is the power of God. So because this really comes down to Jesus, I'm going to ask Mark to help me now. Mark, give me a hand. So we've been talking about this bread. And Jesus said, well, I'm it. He said, I'm the lamb of the world. And so everything that was in the Old Testament, it all pointed to this. Everything that was going on in the Old Testament, none of it caught God by surprise. And so here's what I want to say to you this morning. You are not here by accident. Some of you might be here this morning. You're not sure why you came. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe this is the first time you've come to church in a while and you're not even sure why you showed up, but you came. See, nothing in, 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 in the history of the world takes God by surprise. God has known what he's doing from day one. And so this incredible picture that happened 1,500 years before Jesus showed up on the scene now becomes center stage to what Jesus is saying to these guys. And verse 44 of John chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. See, none of this took Jesus by surprise, and the fact that you're here this morning did not take Jesus by surprise. See, he begins to draw people. And the aroma of the bread of life, in one way or another, it has captured your attention and it has drawn you here. And you're sitting here this morning for a reason. And that reason is so that you can feast upon the bread of life. Because it's the only thing that will ever satisfy your soul. See, believers are told to be here. In, in Hebrews 10, 25, he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. If, if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, we're told to be here. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't have to be here. But you're here. And there's a reason. And I urge you this morning to not just have intellectual awareness of the bread of life, to not just go, yep, I see the bread, I smell it, I get it. This is a day where you've got to take and eat, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is your day. Verse 47 of John chapter 6, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate manna in the desert. They're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven 
that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And then in verse 53, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He says, yeah, that, that bread that you were talking about, your fathers ate it, they, they died. They died. The kind of bread that you're looking for, you're gonna eat it and you're gonna die because it will never fix what really is going on in your life. The only way that you fix that is to participate in what I am offering, to consume me. And if that sounds a little weird to you, then just look back at the first four verses of chapter six. He says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Verse four, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. See, when Jesus is having this dialogue about being the bread of life, it just happened to be right around the Passover time. All of this made perfect sense to the people that he was speaking to. And if it doesn't make sense to you this morning, hear me. Jesus says the thing that you're pursuing the thing that you can never get satisfaction from. It is temporary. It will never be enough. And the only way that you satisfy that craving in your soul, the only way you break those bonds of slavery, the only way that you break out of the things that are tying you down and destroying your life is to come to him and partake of him, not just believe up here, not just believe with your eyes or know that, yeah, okay, I believe in Jesus. That's not enough. You gotta consume him. You gotta partake of him. Revelation chapter three, verse 20, I'll close with this. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you're here this morning and you're in that third chair, Jesus is standing right in front of you this morning and he's knocking on the door. He's a gentleman. He will never force himself in on you. But he said, if anyone hears my voice, then opens the door. See, you have to open it. God's not gonna force the door open. If he'll open the door, then I will come into him and I will dine with him. And he with me. See, so you want to share a table with Jesus? Jesus said, I'm knocking. And you're running all over the place. You're looking for the answers in the wrong places. And sometimes it can almost hit you right over the head and you just go right by it. You just ignore it. And Jesus said, I'm just here. I'm knocking. But you're going to have to be the one that opens the door and lets me in. And if you do, then I will come in and we will share a meal together, the bread of life, which will once and for all 
break every chain and satisfy your soul. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and prepare for an invitation. Some of you are here this morning and you're a Christ follower. But man, you need to change seats at the table. This is your morning. But I really want to talk to those of you who have been sitting in that third chair. And you might have been here at church for a long, long time. But sitting at the table by itself is not enough. This is the day you need to open the door. Pray with me, Father. As we think about your sacrifice, as we think about the pictures that you painted from the Old Testament all the way to when you were here with us in the New you and you alone can provide what we need Lord would you help every heart this morning to hear and hear your voice to hear that knock at the door I want every head bowed this morning I want every eye closed I don't want anybody looking around this is not between you and somebody else this is a private moment between you and God But as the pastor this morning, I'm going to ask you if you're here this morning and you go, Pastor Mark, and I believe in the bread, I do, but I just don't know if I have received him. I don't know if I breathe my last breath today that I would go to be with Jesus in heaven forever. I just don't know. I'm not sure. And I want to be sure I'm tired of trying to figure it out and God I, I just want to know if that's you this morning I'm going to ask you to have the courage to just raise your hand nobody else is looking raise your hand I've seen one hand should always be a number of people in any church service that are trying to figure it out please don't let this moment go by if you're here this morning and you're not a hundred percent sure you can't remember whether or not you've invited Christ into your life and and you know that you belong to him and that he belongs to you would you raise your hand would you have the courage to do that with every head bowed and every eye closed if you're here this morning and you're a believer you would say pastor I've been coming to church a long time I've been I've been saved but man I'm not in the chair that I ought to be I'm not inviting people to the table like I ought to and that needs to change 
you raise your hand? All over the building, would you just raise your hand? We've got hands all over the place. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will have his way. Lord, do not let us leave here this morning with unfinished business. Pray that every person will know that salvation is theirs, eternity is theirs, and every chain is broken because they've trusted you. Pray you'll give them courage to take action today, to act on their belief. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The band is going to sing and play. going to receive communion after our invitation so here's my here's my plea with you take communion with a clean slate have a clear conscience before God so come do business the altars are open musicians are singing and playing People will meet you and pray with you if you need that. Let's act on what God has said. Drive.